Hey, Richard Gottlieb. Chris Byrne. How you doing? I'm doing good. Got another good show today. We do. <laughs> you just like saying that. Uh, this, this is the Playground Podcast with me, Chris Byrne, my co-host and cohort, Richard Gottlieb. We are brought to you by Global Toy Experts, the Toy Guy, marketing and media agency, Chizcom, and Precise.tv. And we are so excited to welcome Zach Ringelstein to the Playground Podcast. If you don't know him, we promise you, you will. He's introducing one of the most important new technology platforms for kids that we've seen yet, and it's called Zigazoo. Zach, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Christopher. Thank you, Richard. Looking forward to this conversation. Let's just jump right in. I know you have a background as a teacher and you're doing tech and we're going to get to all of that. Tell us a little bit about you and how you got to this platform. Well, I never thought I wanted to be a teacher and then I fell in love with teaching. I grew up the son of a social worker and always did camp counseling. And then I went to Columbia University and thought I wanted to be a doctor and got into this Johns Hopkins post-baccalaureate program to go to medical school and was working in infectious diseases labs, no joke. And then I decided to do this program called Teach for America, which got me into the classroom for a couple of years. And I realized that there was no bigger problem that needed to be solved than giving kids a great education in this country, especially in lower income backgrounds. So I was working in this Mexican immigrant community and we're, we're standardized testing the heck out of kids. And just like regurgitating facts, you know, quizzes, pop quizzes, et cetera. Long story short is I became kind of a rebel educator and was like, listen, we got to lead with what kids love. We got to lead with purpose. We got to lead with socializing. We got to lead with creativity. And so I became a bit of a rebel. Ended up giving a TED talk on this uh, idea in 2012. Started my first company out of this concept in 2012 called U-Class. Uh, we scaled that out, out in Silicon Valley, you know, kind of the start of this kind of new tech wave. And we sold it to Renaissance Learning in 2015, one of the biggest ed tech companies in the world. I worked as an executive at Renaissance Learning, done a bunch of work in politics and policy around this concept of giving kids purpose and making education something that kids love as opposed to that bores the heck out of kids. And then um, out of this concept, built Zigazoo in the pandemic uh, with my wife, and it's uh, about a year old. And we are in hundreds of thousands of households, soon to be millions. Excited to talk to you about it today. Well, I'm worn out. <laughs> Wait, I don't know how you feel. That was That's really quite a journey you had. I think you need to tell everybody what Zigazoo is. First of all, zigazoo.com, you should really just go to the App Store. You should go to Apple uh, or Android, whatever phone you have, and you should type in Zigazoo, Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. So Zigazoo is basically the best of technology and kids' media. As someone said, we have a generational opportunity to build the future of kids' media. And what it is, is it's instead of just watching a TV show or a new character, it's kids responding to challenges by that TV show or character. So the best way of thinking about it is you have Sesame Street for many decades showing everybody their great content. Everybody sits there, watches it. And then at the end, almost like after they give a, do a whole, whole episode on recycling, Elmo says, and how do you recycle in your home? 
Do you think the kid actually does anything <laughs> at that point? No, they, they keep watching. They go to the next episode. And so what we do is we actually give kids the opportunity to create alongside their favorite characters, their favorite TV shows. And so they're responding to challenges. Our challenges are built by everybody from Netflix shows to Serena Williams' doll, Quay Quay, to Charlie Brown through Peanuts, the Philadelphia Zoo, et cetera, and so forth. All the challenges are lovable. They're easy to do because in a way they are encouraging kids to just be themselves, express themselves. And it gives kids this really safe outlet to create alongside their friends and their favorite characters in a way that uh, is motivating and purpose purpose-filled. So Zach, tell us a little bit about how Zigazoo actually works. What are, what are kids doing when they're interacting with it? And what ages is this for? Zigazoo spans everybody from three to 12 years old. When you go on, you're able to see moderated content of kids who are creating video responses to challenges built by the biggest brands in the world. So that looks like Peanuts doing a challenge, like um, what is your favorite dance move all the way to Serena Williams' doll doing a challenge uh, that says, uh, what's your favorite uh, toy? All of these challenges give kids an opportunity to think for themselves about who are they, and then gives them an opportunity to share their personalities with their friends. Every single piece of media on Zigazoo is moderated by humans. So every 30 second video gets watched all the way through. We have gotten outstanding reviews from both KidSafe, who are certified by, and by Common Sense Media, who has held us up as a role model. They said basically that we are the example that any major company needs to look to if they want kids creating content. It's very special because every challenge has some sort of educational bent to it. So, you know, education is baked into the DNA of Zigazoo. It's all built in the DNA of child development psychology. So asking questions, giving kids an opportunity to express themselves. A lot of people call us a gummy vitamin because you know, <laughs> kids are doing things like, does it sink or float? Or they might say, uh, you know, can you make a balloon powered car? Or we have Chico Bon Bon, which is a Netflix show on there. And kids are rolling their favorite trucks down stairwells talking about accel acceleration. So there's all these opportunities to both be a kid as well as learn a little something in a safe and healthy environment. So let me ask you, um, if, if I'm understanding how it works, a child cannot be on alone. They have a parent with them. Yeah. So a parent has to approve their presence on the platform. So we have to get something called high-level parental consent in order for the kid to interact in the platform. And we have all these different bars for safety. So until a kid has made a video, you're not able to really do much else on the platform. And in fact, almost 50% of all of our kids on our platform are active creators, which is really, really high for a social network. There's something called the 1% rule in social media, where about 1% of people are building content and 99% are watching. We have an amazing opportunity here to build a whole generation of creators as opposed to those who are just passively consuming content. As educators and as people who study this stuff, we think a lot about what it is to not just build a network that kids love, 
but build a network where kids feel good about themselves. And so we've created not only a safety commitment, but a positivity commitment. And so there's no free form commenting on Zigazoo. There's positive stickers and positive emojis and ways to interact that give kids the, the feeling that, you know, hey, they're, they're on there, they're giving their best. And because of that, they're being, you know, rewarded for it. And, um, you know, I think that's, that's really paid dividends. So I'm interested from a very functional standpoint, mm-hmm. because you have these protocols in which your folks review a video before it goes live, what is the lag time? We pride ourselves on getting nearly 90% of our videos approved to the feed, usually within uh, two minutes. Oh. And so wow. there, so we have moderators who are on between the hours of 5 a.m. Eastern to 1 a.m. Eastern every single day. When a child does a video, can everyone who is a subscriber see the video and respond? Or is it limited to maybe a particular group or your group? How does that work? We have what's called personalization and vertical communities. So you guys are toy people, right? So if you're a eight-year-old who loves, let's just go with, because we have uh, the, the jazz wares people, Jeremy Patterer on the platform. Let's go with Squishmallows, right? So say you're really into Squishmallows, you're eight years old. What we do is we create vertical communities around your interests. So, so you're able to find other kids who are interested in the same activities as you. And you're able to build networks with kids using your favorite kind of ideas almost like hashtags as a way to reach people who are interested and and love the same things that you do. But there's no way for them to contact one another offline or outside of your environment. That is correct. Not at all. Because kids, you know, the sad thing is that so many kids, because they, they have so many poor options in this age group, they're trying to get on TikTok, right? They're trying to get on Twitter. They're, they're, they're actually, you know, believe it or not, even though they're not allowed to, lying about their age and going to other platforms. But what's so cool about Zigazoo is that Zigazoo is a safe, healthy, moderated space where they're learning something where they want to be. And so we got all this demand, right, from our audience, from parents mostly, who are saying, but, but my kids want to interact with one another in more meaningful ways. So we're like, okay, well, we're not doing free-form messaging, but what we will do is we'll allow kids who have reached a certain bar of verification to send sticker emojis to one another. Mm-hmm. So basically they're set, they're able to send pre-approved stickers to one another. And that's, you know, a way for kids to start to interact and start to you know, develop positive relationships online. Zach, one of the things that I think is so amazing about Zigazoo is that really a lot of the best toys that we see replicate adult or older activities. For example, you do not give a three-year-old a real F-150 pickup truck. You do give them a Tonka truck. And to that three or four-year-old's mind, the experience is actually almost identical. What's happening in their brain is almost actually identical to having the real truck. So what I think is so impressive about what you've done is you've given kids this content creation, interaction, posting experience, and yet in a way that's appropriate for them cognitively. How did you even come up with this? This is why I love you, Christopher, um, because you 
you know, you have to really step into the world into the shoes of a child to build good things for kids. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a real shame that so much of our education system and honestly, so much of our internet does just doesn't know how to treat kids with respect, quite frankly. And it's become my passion as an adult to treat kids with respect, to listen to kids and to really build things that match their challenge ability, like their challenge level. And I have three boys, five and younger, right? I have a five-year-old, I have a three-year-old, and I have a nine-month-old. And my wife and I, you know, are pulling our hair out all the time, figuring out how to reach them, right? How to motivate them, how to, how to make them feel good about themselves and confident, especially during the pandemic, where you can't see other kids' faces because there are masks on them, right? You know, we know kids are happiest when they're creating, when they're playing. If you ever watch a kid play, they don't want to listen to adults, to be honest. They want to build their own world. Anytime I go, I go and join my three-year-old Jack in his playtime. I just left my house this morning. He was uh, in the middle of, of Tonka truck land, as you, as you just mentioned. And, you know, if I go in there and I say, and I insert my adult opinion of like what we should do, he's just like, no, daddy, that's not what we're doing. You put, <laughs> put your Tonka truck over here. We're, we're in the middle of bulldozing these Legos get out, you know? And I think, I think it just, you know, there's a lot of disrespect in the kids world. I think we assume that the only, the only way to do kids and technology is either single player games, which is disrespectful because kids are social. And then the other way we disrespect kids is by saying, Oh, you should only passively consume things, which we know is unhealthy just to sit and binge YouTube content for hours upon hours. And so how do we give kids what they, what they want, you know, in young years, that's parallel play. And as they develop into five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 year olds, it becomes, you know, fuller opportunities to play with kid imaginations. And so we believe that kids should be driving their own media in safe and healthy ways and that they should be driving their own play. And that's actually the healthier and more developmentally appropriate way to give kids purpose and to develop lifelong learners, the kinds of people that we want inventing companies in the future. We're hopefully going to save our world from everything from climate change to, <laughs> you know, you name that international crisis. I mean, these are the types of skills that we want to develop and we have to find ways to, to do it in a, in a healthy environment because technology is a part of their lives. You mentioned technology, which is interesting because there are people out there who say kids shouldn't have technology. They should have no screen time. I've always said it's not the screen. It's what's on the screen that matters. But these kids live in a technological world. And I think that what you're doing is acknowledging that and letting them be, quote unquote, big at, at the same time. As you do this, how do you see kids interacting with the technology, which they have a, almost an innate facility with at this point? I think that kids need to have a healthy relationship with technology. Technology is not going away. They are going to grow up. They are growing up with technology as part of their lives. And most of our economy, quite frankly, is built around technology. And so we have to prepare kids for the world that they live in. And by the way, they see all of us as parents and their grandparents using tech all the time. And to think that they don't notice that or want to be part of it is, is actually insane. Kids, <laughs> no, it is like, I love that. And, and listen, I want my kids to have a healthy relationship with technology. I want them to spend more time outdoors in nature than I do want wanting them, you know, in front of a screen. 
but I do want them to interact with screens in a healthy way. And I want them when they use screens to be the creator as opposed to just a passive consumer. I want them to know that they get to build the world as opposed to just consume the world. So I think what we're trying to do is we're trying to take a position as elementary school educators, as uh, parents to say, this is the type of screen time that we want our kids to have. And, you know, as much as I thought, honestly, five or six years ago before I had kids that I wouldn't have my kids on screens at all. I do. I do use screens and most parents do use screens. And so how do we do it in a way where parents can go, okay, I, I, I'm not worried about what they're doing. I am actually excited because they're getting something really meaningful out of this. And they're becoming the type of, I would call it digital citizens that we're going to want on social media, right? Uh, not just attacking one another, but building bridges, learning how to do this from a young age and uh, recognizing that there, there is a healthier way and a safer and a more positive way. We had Chris heavily on the show and Chris ran Club Penguin. And there are a lot of alumni, <laughs> Club Penguin alumni, who, who really remember it. And if there was, I, I think, a vehicle still around for them, they would still be engaged. Mm. Have you thought about how you could scale this as time goes on so that these people who have this very, very warm relationship with your platform, as they age out, they could have another platform that, that, that has the, the same ethic, if you will, the same culture. So that's one of the reasons that we are doing personalization, right? Um, one of the biggest issues on Zigazoo is that we're building these vertical communities, but it turns out that 11-year-olds are not so excited when their little brothers or sisters start stickering them or whatever, right? They don't like, right, that certain age groups are messing with them. They want, they want to hang out with their age level or older. And so what we're doing is we're personalizing content to age groups and then to interests such that we can grow with our Zigazoo community and can start to potentially age up. But I think it's important for me to say this. I, I, I'm not interested in building the next TikTok. <laughs> I think there is a, a once in a generation opportunity to build a safe and social experience where kids aren't just watching characters like they do on Disney Plus or on YouTube, but where they are actually engaging with characters or as maybe you like this, Chris, they're playing yeah. with the characters, yeah. right? And they're offering their own ideas to the equation as opposed to only doing that alone or, again, just with the screen in front of you. And I think that this is that opportunity. And I, and I think that that's going to really uh, shake up the entire kids industry. I mean, you can imagine what it feels like to instead of use the Tonka truck example, you can hold a Tonka truck, but you can also build media right with a Tonka truck and, and be part of kind of a world where you're, um, you know, the creator, you're pl the player in the game and you're able to share that with, with your, with your friends and with your parents and, and teachers. And how international is your audience? Currently we're very focused on the U S market, but we, you know, maybe as a transition into a conversation around business, we just got a major investment from, a uh, London-based VC 
who uh, is really interested in in, take, in us taking this international. You, of course, have to make money doing this. And so what is the revenue model for Zigazoo? I think that there has been a long time idea that the only way to monetize media and social media is advertising. And I think in the last couple of years, this has been totally disproven. I think that Roblox in particular, if you saw their IPO, you know they're worth well over $40 billion now. Uh, they have a very similar target audience as, as we do. And they do not make most of their revenue from advertising. They make most of their money through a secondary currency called Robux. And we are doing something very similar. This summer, we're launching something called Zigabucks, where you're going to be able to do everything from uh, buy Lori Berkner or Chico Bon Bon or Squishmallow swag, right, for your avatars, as well as uh, dip into premium content, live content on Zigazoo, where you're able to use that currency to and, and uh, through, through a bit of a subscription model, as well as through uh, ad hoc purchases to uh, get extra layers of, of fun and, and education on, on Zigazoo. You've got brands on there. And one of the things that has become increasingly clear in the current marketing environment is that brands are communities. So I'm sharing my affinity for Lego in the same way I'm sharing my affinity for McDonald's or any any other brand out there. And that's sort of seamless to children. How do you create that kind of engagement? We recently raised a major round of funding from uh, Mac Venture Capital, Serena Ventures, which is Serena Williams' venture fund, from Talus Capital. We had investors such as Jimmy Kimmel and Wheelhouse Entertainment and Chris Williams, who runs some of the biggest you know kid talent in the world. Uh, we have Jer- Jeremy Padower from, um, from Jazzwares. We have Matt Rutler from Masterclass, just an unbelievable group of investors who you know, really believe in this. And ever since then, as you can imagine, we've just gotten an obscene amount of interest from brands. We hold a very high standard for our brands. Our content is content. It's good kids content. It's New York Times bestselling authors reading books to kids. It's a full episode of Peanuts or Chico Bon Bon, right? It's, uh, you know, really high quality toy content that kids can engage with and you know, be challenged by. And I think there's a level of trust that good brands build with their audiences. And, and that trust creates communities. And those communities just snowball the love and appeal of brands. And so we're trying to be like a really safe and trustworthy place for really good brand and brand content to exist where it's not like, oh, hey, let's sell this soda to kids. Right. It's, it's, oh, hey, we're, we're integrating some science curriculum into this really fun show about this fun character or trucks, to use your example, that you know, kids love and parents trust and that kids you know, fall in love with as, as a result. And I think that that's the type of communities that we're, we're really interested in helping to grow. Uh, we're also starting to build brands ourselves, you know, just like YouTube has been able to build their own stars, their own children's media stars. We're starting to build our own children's media stars. We're in the process uh, of building this amazing puppet act up. Uh, they have tens of thousands of followers on Zigazoo now, soon to be hundreds. Uh, one's called Bings and Pots. 
And then we actually have this whole kid talent program where we have something called Zigazoo has talent. We have kids, kids, superstars, kids who play the piano, like, you know, like you've never heard before who, or have these amazing uh, voices or who, uh, you know, are future gymnastic stars who are, you know, building their profile on Zigazoo as well. If someone has intellectual property that they would like to work with you on, who should they contact and what criteria do you have that they should be thinking about? If you're a brand in the kids space, uh, whether you make media or you're a toy company, you should reach out to hopefully Dave. Dave's okay with this. Uh, Dave Dave at Zigazoo.com. D-A-V-E at Zigazoo.com. And then if you do kid talent or are a celebrity, we're doing a whole celebrity book reading series this summer. uh, You can reach out to our head of talent, which is uh, Chris at zigazoo.com not to be confused with chris burns on this podcast we won't give you we won't give everyone your email (laughs) they all know how to find me anyhow (laughs) one of the things that really strikes me about what you're doing is how you're transforming how children spend their entertainment time and when i was growing up you sat in front of the tv on saturday morning and basically brawled with your brothers. And that was the interaction. The two things were were separate. But here we are living in a world of user-generated content, of kids being able to express themselves, not necessarily through writing or painting, but through video. So we really are seeing you at the forefront of a sea change in how media is related to, not just consumed. That's exactly right. I think it's um, a massive transformation that has let's just say is the future of what all kids media is going to look like. I think mean, there's always a place, by the way, there's always a place for that, that veg out time, right? That time when, you know, it's been a long day at school or it's Saturday morning and you just need, you know, you need a veg out. I mean, I do it too, right? Like at the end of the night, you need, you need a few minutes. And I think kids do need that. I, so I don't think traditional media is going away. I think the format is changing, but I think that kids want to, create their own media, right? Kids want to be in the director's chair or in front of the camera, just like, just like uh, people on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok do, but they want to do it in their own kid version of that, right? They want to play, <laughs> they want to perform, they want to, you know, talk about their favorite things. And I think that's really exciting. And I think that it needs to be built really delicately in a safe and healthy way where kids aren't being consumed by platforms where it's all about vanity or it's all about adult things. I think, I think there's an opportunity within Zigazoo. And if we do this right as a society to just like we built separate playgrounds for kids or built separate elementary and preschools for kids to build like a completely separate internet for kids that is based on what we know about childhood development that is safe and controlled and moderated and where kids aren't just freeform building whatever content they want, but giving them just like we do as parents, just like we do as educators, giving them fun and meaningful challenges that helps them build their world in constructive and creative ways. I do want to to cast our readers' minds back to interactive television in the 1960s. It was a show called Winky Dink and You, and there was, you could send away for a transparent plastic screen that you attached to your television screen. And when Winky Dink would get into trouble, you could use your pen to draw a bridge. So, so you've come a long way from that. 
had the deluxe Wingy Ding set. It was the only deluxe toy I ever had. We didn't. We didn't get it. Uh, we drew on the TV screen and got in trouble. <laughs> Where is Winky Ding? We might need a Winky Ding channel on Sega. Let me ask you, Zach. When I listen to you, what runs through all of your conversation is that you have a vision of the future and how you can impact that future. So it's you, it's Roblox, there's a lot of things going on right now. What is your vision of 25, 30 years from now? Can you give us some idea of what your vision is of that future? Think about 10 years ago. We were, I think, praising Facebook and Instagram and Twitter for being tools that democratized access to media. Think about where we are today. I think that the internet is, uh, there was a lot of hope that the internet would do good for humankind. And it's not to say it hasn't done some good. I think that it is a part of our life, our life, like it or not, but there are a lot of traps on the internet and it's become overly commercialized in a way that ultimately just like with the environment, right? Like if you, if you don't put some guardrails on emissions, et cetera, we know what's going to happen to the to planet earth. We know if we don't put some guardrails on the internet, especially for kids, we're not giving our kids the best childhood possible. I would say that the future is a world where we are interacting both in the real world, right? In real life, IRL, as the kids say, and with our phones, right? Our phones end up guiding us through our lives and they optimize the human experience. And I think that that's going to be even more accentuated in 25, 30 years. I think to an extent where there are going to be some experiences that we are going to be seeing through technology, colored glasses, quite literally. And I think that we have to start to get comfortable with how much of that we want to accept for our kids and how much we don't. And I think that there needs to be good, healthy, child development appropriate standards that are set for kids so that we can grow kids into great digital citizens who don't fall prey to, I think, some of the the worst of the internet. I'm a believer that kids should always be reaching what I consider the highest level of Bloom's taxonomy, which is creation. We would like for kids not to constantly be memorizing, regurgitating, uh, repeating things, which by the way, most of ed tech and technology does for kids these days, but we want them actually creating it. And, you know, when you build creative kids, guess what? They turn into creative adults who then are better, better able to, to do well in the workforce, but also more likely to be the kind of citizens who, who take action and do something good for humankind. And so I think it's a very complicated picture in the next 25, 30 years, is I guess the easiest way of saying it. I don't think that it's an easy, you know, the the industrial revolution wasn't easy. I don't think the technology revolution is any easier, but I do think we need to do our best to grow, to build healthy uh, avenues for kids that are also exciting for them because they're ultimately going to build the 25, 30 year horizon that, that we see. What I love about what you're saying and how you express it is this sense that there's an integration of technology and child development. And the two have existed kind of mutually exclusively for a while. And that they've been set up almost as antagonistically. 
and that mm. really you're synthesizing all of this because it really is the whole idea of a creative child expressing themselves who's going to be a better problem solver for having answered all of this stuff. I'm a big advocate of the liberal arts because I think it teaches you how to think, how to solve problems, and how to be a human being. And anything else you can learn. This is really one of the first examples I've seen of marrying that technology and cognitive development in a way that really focuses on the kids. And I love that. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you say that. And I think you just said that so well, Chris. I think I think there is an unnecessary antagonism, right? And I think it, it actually is hurting kids right now because they don't have any healthier, better pathways to become digital citizens, except for those that have kind of been com com completely dominated by adults like the TikToks of the world, which by the way, formerly, if anyone doesn't know this, was kind of built out of a kid's app called Musical.ly, right? It's been really nice to see that, you know, organizations like Common Sense Media, who, you know, are trying to build a healthier way for parents and teachers to guide their kids to view media are starting to say, oh, it's not about just criticizing every piece every piece of technology that encourages kids to be social online because kids are going to be social online. It's about how do we do this right and well. Right. And I, and I think that's huge. I think anytime we build an interstate highway into a child's head, parents get freaked out. I've said on the show before that in the 19th century, when the novel became very popular, parents freaked out because their kids were staying in the, room all the time, reading, you know, not socializing, getting bad ideas. And so I think what you're helping to do here is, uh, as you said, establish some guardrails so that parents feel more comfortable about giving the world access to their child. And so I think that's very important. I think that what you're doing is taming this wild new means we have of gaining information. I think it's safe to say that Zigazoo is the novel of the 21st century. Absolutely. So thanks for, thanks for leading with that, Richard. So, Zach, we're going to ask you the question that we ask all of our guests here on the Playground Podcast. Sure, sure, sure. sure. Tell us a secret. Okay. A big secret that no one knows is what Zigazoo means. Anyone have any idea? No idea. No idea. We've not told anybody this. It's not on our website. So the, the truth of the story is that we were, we were looking at various names and we were really interested in building a whole brand. We weren't going to name it like challenge kids or something, right? We really wanted to, you know, like Google or like Amazon, right? Like it's like a whole brand, a brand name that no one had ever heard of before. And we just couldn't figure it out. We couldn't find it. It wasn't, it wasn't happening. And so um, my, my grandfather who passed away a couple of years ago was an entrepreneur in New York city. He's, he's the dad of eight. My, my, my dad is, is one of those eight. He, uh, he would put us on his lap. So you go, and he just like, and we'd all laugh in six seconds, and we'd all fall to the, to the floor. And, uh, and it was just one of those things where I was talking to my parents late at night, one night I was doing that with my kids. And I was like, what about Zikazoo? What about Zikazoo? And then like, 
I, you know, uh, we, we, we looked at the domain name and it was like $9.99 on GoDaddy. And we decided that was it. And so my grandfather's legacy lives through uh, the Ziggy's new name. Uh, and it's kind of cool because, you know, I think about it. He was the ultimate, ultimate uh, antagonizer, playmate, just like such a great guy who would, you know, you know, laugh and uh, joyfully engage with not only his kids, but his grandkids in that way. And so it's a, it's, it's a, it's a great, it's, it's really special to me and to the whole family that uh, Zigazoo is named after that, that thing that now 30 something grandkids, you know, uh, know very well. <laughs> Zach Ringelstein, thank you so much. This is really inspiring, impressive. And if people don't know what Zigazoo is, they will after this and they better pay attention because you are doing some amazing transformative work. And we're so glad you spent the time with us today. Yeah, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you for all you do uh, in this space. You, you guys are our are miracle workers, so thank you. <laughs> zoo, zoo. And now we come to the part of the show that we call the end cap, where Richard and I talk about issues that are top of mind and top of the toy industry right now. And Richard, today we're going to be talking about retail and competition from the other side of the world. What's up with that? Well, you know, Chris, mid-20th century, most stores were in downtowns and they competed with the other store down the street. Right. And then as we moved into the 70s and 80s, they started to compete with the store at the shopping center and eventually the store at the mall. And in the 21st century, they had to compete on Amazon with other companies around the country. And now what we're seeing is... Uh, B to C, direct-to-consumer competition coming from China. Right, and it's a site called Shein that you have been, uh, that you recently wrote about. This site is not for toys. It's spelled S-H-E-I-N. And it is clothing for young women, and the prices are just incredibly low. And what I learned from studying a little bit about Shein is that when you ship something, from China to the United States, if it is under $800, there is no duty on the product. So they are able to sell products really straight out of the factory, so to speak, to consumers who find these products online. And so it made me think about how the world has become one giant marketplace. Right. And it's not just fashion. It is there's home and pet accessories. There's men's and women's clothing. There's a lot of stuff. And, and it looks to me as though it's only a matter of time until they get into some toys. I think that's where the competition is. And it reflects what we've seen with a lot of toy companies as well that are building their D2C, their direct to consumer businesses. Just to give listeners a sense of how big this is. They ended Amazon's 152-day streak of being the, the world's most downloaded shopping app. And I think that that's a lot of competition. I do know that these where, the warehouses for Shein and these other companies are right near the factories. So you can see why they've got a vertical supply system here that cuts an enormous out of, uh, cost out of it. And by uh, not having to pay duty particularly on things like clothes. Right. Uh, you can see how they have just an incredible advantage in the marketplace, not just in the U.S., but anywhere in the world that they sell. Looking around on their site, 
you're not going to get things overnight. It's not prime delivery, but you are going to get things within a couple of weeks or within a week in some cases. And so I, I think that for people who are shopping based on price and there's a wide range of stuff, I think it's going to be a very viable shopping destination, especially for young people. So, Chris, what about you? You studied Shein as well and some other websites. Uh, what happens if you you want to return something? They have a pretty generous return policy that you have 45 days to return something. Shipping is free on your first return, and it's got to come back 45 days from the purchase date. So this is really in line with typical Amazon or Walmart. Afterwards, you can also have a more expedited way and pay a little bit of money. I think $7.99. It is pretty competitive with other online retailers, especially for people in the United States. So what this means is Shein is a major competitor for Walmart, Amazon, and Target. And they're not even in the U.S. That speaks to the fact that we're living in an increasingly global marketplace. I don't see major brands like the sneakers are not Nike, the uh, bags are not Louis Vuitton, but that's not what somebody's going to be coming here for. Somebody who's coming here is shopping on price and design, and that's what it's all about. Yeah, and I think young people who really don't have a lot of money, this, this is a, uh, a younger generation of adults that came of age during the Great Recession. So this is probably very welcome to them to be able to find products at these incredibly low prices. It is, and it's kind of, we've got two different things going on here with the, with the younger millennials and Gen Z. On one level, you've got lines like Uniqlo and that are kind of disposable clothing. But on the other hand, you've got places like The Real Real, secondhand designer goods. You've got places like Buffalo Exchange here in New York City where people are buying on consignment. So there's also a movement to reuse and recycle. So we've got two different consumer dynamics going on at the same time. As you pointed out, it's this is about clothes today. It probably will be about toys tomorrow. So this is something we we all want to keep an eye on. I think so. And we hope you'll keep an eye on us. This is the Playground Podcast with me, Chris Byrne, and my co-host and cohort, Richard Gottlieb. We are brought to you by Global Toy Experts, the Toy Guy, and marketing and media agency, Chizcom. And we hope you'll tune in next time.